Uh, they have to deal with uh, uh, very important uh, daily challenges, that the buses are running on time, that the water is clean, that the schools uh, uh, are open, and uh, that the cities are developing. And therefore, it was quite impressive to see that on top of all these traditional mayoral duties, uh, they demonstrated uh, such a strong commitment uh, uh, to the future of our planet, that they've been ready to work on uh, sustainability uh, plans, uh, which in the case of uh, the covenant of uh, mayors from Europe, always have to exceed the national ambition presented by the governments. And therefore, we wanted to use this experience to showcase this example, and I was uh, uh, very pleased that together with Mike Bloomberg, we can actually uh, create this new global covenant uh, uh, of mayors, and we are putting the final touches on this new alliance uh, uh, on a global level, which should start uh, to be fully operational as of uh, 1st of January of uh, uh, the next year. But at the same time, I have to say that all these positive attitudes, all that uh, achievements shouldn't be taken for granted. Because we see many detractors uh, in Europe and uh, in the US that are aiming to, ri uh, to rise to power and to undo what has been so arduously achieved. We have also seen that the political declarations uh, do not uh, suffice, that the energy or uh, low carbon transition must move from the political level to the ground level. And uh, this is where we should uh, concentrate our efforts now. Of course, not everything what we discussed yesterday, not everything with what we are dealing today has such a, uh, uh, such a gloomy perspective if, uh, as uh, some of the challenges I was describing at the beginning. What are the positive sides? What where the strengths uh, of Europe and of uh, Europe industry lies? We are very strong if it comes uh, uh, to the low carbon technologies. Let's just remind ourselves that EU companies hold 40% of all patents for renewable technologies. Already 9 million Europeans is working uh, directly and indirectly in the low carbon energy industry and we project, we expect that this, num this number will be doubled by 2030. If we study more closely our proposals for eco-design and energy labeling policies, uh, we expect that they would uh, contribute to the creation of additional 800,000 jobs and would provide uh, 54 billion of euros of extra revenue for the European industry by 2020. Other eco-industries are also very important uh, job engines such as waste and uh, waste and water management and other activities linked to the protection of environment. So this transition to a low carbon and greener economy can present a gold mine for the jobs and growth. So this transition has a business sense and this is something what we need to repeat uh, here and again and to get uh, also the public perception on, uh, on uh, this note, because this would help us to overcome um, another challenge where we need uh, to work better. And this is commerce, uh, commercialization or market uptake uh, of our low carbon and energy efficient uh, technologies. There are huge opportunities to be taken and I had many 
uh, of the excellent examples in the labs uh, across the Europe in our universities and research institutes. We are very good at innovating, inventing, but we are slower than our global competitor in commercialization, in market uptake, and in actually using the technologies we develop here uh, in Europe. The International Energy Agency has assessed that only for the period between now and 2030, the two degrees Celsius goal will need global investment in the range of 16.5 trillion US dollars. If you look at just one country, India, in India alone there are 300 million people who currently have no direct access to the electricity. And I remember very well the visit of Prime Minister Modi at Hanover Messe was very clear that uh, he is determined uh, to provide the electricity access to his citizen and to do it in this new modern low carbon way. So that's a lots of opportunity for our industry there as well. So to reap the benefits of the low carbon transition, we must better position our companies, support the market uptake of our innovative technologies, create uh, an environment that is conducive to attract investment, develop uh, innovation ecosystems, which could be specialized, for example, in regional uh, clusters, uh, in energy, in mobility, and work much better in partnership with the industries and the cities and other facil facilitators to that effect. And I'm very eager and uh, prepared to discuss uh, with you how we can do it, how we will do it, and what would be the best way to proceed. As you know, we will come up before the end of the year uh, with a new energy union innovation and competitiveness strategy. Next year, I will also continue to go and meet the actors on the ground uh, in the smart and innovative cities, cooperatives, companies that make this transition visible and possible for the citizens to see how can we better uh, support them. We are finalizing our energy efficiency package, which we want uh, to present in the coming weeks. We are looking for the ways uh, how we can um, use better energy efficiency technologies, how we can bring in all that uh, new knowledge we accumulated over the past years and, and uh, uh, develop the concept not only of energy efficient but smart buildings uh, and uh, together with Irki Katainen we are looking at all aspects how we can also provide uh, smart financing for the smart uh, buildings. And talking about the money, this of course bring me to the challenge of investments. In fact, sustainable investment was a very central topic during the Paris COP21 summit and I remember very well my meetings uh, there with the business community. Later on we've been discussing the, uh, the same issues uh, in New York with the UN Environment uh, Program Director Achim Steiner. And what we agreed, what was the common conclusion from all this discussion was that it was critical to minimize uh, the risk of financial instability linked to the climate change and uh, the transition to a low carbon economy. And I, and I told him that some EU member states are taking a lead when it comes to ensuring sustainable investment. Just one example for, for all of them. The Dutch Central Bank, for example, has updated its mission to not only safeguarding financial stability, but also contributing to sustainable prosperity in the Netherlands. And we see that many more 
banking houses is taking the same approach in Europe. In the energy sector alone, we are currently facing an investment gap of no less than 200 billion euros per year across uh, the European Union. Connecting the Europe's transport corridors, the famous TNT uh, projects, uh, require an, an additional investment of 200 billion euros until 2020. And I can continue with uh, almost the same uh, figure for the entire transport sector and uh, the need to invest in research and bringing innovations uh, uh, to the market. And here we are facing the, the paradox, because uh, it's quite paradoxical that the investment is not there, given the tremendous potential in the low carbon technologies. But I believe that uh, this will change soon. But I think we need to do our utmost to uh, make sure that this change, change happen uh, faster rather than slower. And therefore, we in a, in a commission um, have made its primary objective to create more stable and more favorable environment for investment. And we've been doing it uh, through a wide range of uh, tools we have at our disposal, which are starting uh, to show tangible results. First and foremost, we are trying to stabilize the regulatory environment, because what we hear from the business community is regulatory stability, regulatory stability, regulatory stability. And we try to do it across our market because uh, we know that uh, if the framework is not stable, if there are permanent changes, so this is the first factor which scares the investors away. Through our energy union legislative uh, packages, we are inducing much needed predictability and uh, consistency in the regulatory framework. And I just uh, would like to uh, inform you that uh, uh, we are working very hard in the European Commission to be able to say by the end of the year in December that if it comes to the legislative proposals linked with the energy union, we very much would like to tell you in December that mission is accomplished, that what we promised in the action plan will be almost all on the table. What we'll be working on in the next year would be a uh, few proposals for the automotive industry. But at the same time, I know that uh, by putting the legislative proposals on the table, the job is done. I would say we are just starting second and even more difficult phase to make sure that these proposals will be supported by the member states, by the European Parliament, and to make sure that the member states will do their homework and join us the, in uh, this effort by preparing the national energy and uh, climate plans so we can finally see the regulatory stability in the form of these four very Im important frames. The global one represented by Paris Agreement, the European one represented by all the legislative proposals under the Energy Union umbrella, then very clear frame for each member state in the form of national energy and climate plans. And then, of course, each city, each region would develop their own sustainability plans, in uh, their own rules, how to make all these uh, uh, um, necessary changes happen in their concrete cities and the regions. Coming back to the investment. Second thing we did was that we've been looking for the ways how to unblock investment and how to channel them where they are needed. 
I'm sure that you discussed uh, the first results uh, of the Juncker Investment Fund. I think that uh, we could be quite glad uh, uh, that in such a short period of time, if, it, uh, if, if you compare uh, how long does it take the usual uh, proposal uh, to be presented, to be adopted, and to be implemented. So I'm very glad to say that within 12 months, we managed to approve 290 projects. Uh, and uh, uh, these projects are quite well geographically spread across the 26 uh, member states. And, uh, um, and uh, the expectation is that they would trigger a total of investment value of uh, almost 116 billion euros. And what is important uh, for uh, my remarks here is the fact that almost 50% of these investments go exactly to the areas which is very important for our project. Research, development, energy, innovation, and uh, the new promising uh, technologies. We also been quite impressed how uh, uh, this fund was successful in attracting other sources of investment, uh, which was one of the key objectives of uh, presenting and working with this new fund, because 80% uh, of the investment came from private and public investors outside of the EIB group. So I believe that uh, here we are learning a lot about new innovative way of financing into the tapping of the potential of the uh, private sector. And uh, uh, we would definitely use this experience to improve the performance of this fund uh, uh, in the future even better. We want to have it more user-friendly. We want to improve the possibility for, for blending. And I would also uh, uh, have one more suggestion for the uh, works of, of Bruegel. Let's think together how we can tap even more into the potential of uh, that piles of cash idling in, in uh, our banks uh, to support uh, uh, low-carbon transition to support uh, the energy efficiency project, and I was particularly intrigued by that uh, proposal coming from the White House when they are creating uh, the fund which would bring clean energy savings for all Americans. I think that we do so much uh, in this area that we can collectively think how we can use uh, uh, the abundance of cash in our banks and to channel it in such a useful investment uh, for the future. Speaking about the future, I think that uh, the better future would oblige us to challenge our traditional modus operandi and adjust uh, to this ever-changing dynamic uh, environment. And I started off by congratulating you, uh, Guntram, for having this uh, conference and having it organized in such a way that you really managed to touch uh, the wide uh, array of the issues without sacrificing uh, its rigor in addressing them. And I think that this new hori uh, horizontal systemic approach uh, will really be one of the characteristic uh, features of our new way uh, of working. We need to build on synergies, synergies between uh, fields, uh, which is um, uh, even more apparent in this new globalized and digitized uh, economy. Because if you look what happened over the last uh, 10 years, who would like, who would, who would think that uh, uh, just 10 years ago that a few mobile apps can completely disrupt the tourism industry or public uh, transport, that nanotechnology would have such an impact uh, on medicine, 
that the 3D printing would completely change uh, the way how the traditional manufacturing look like. Uh, and we are still learning about the potential pluses and the minuses of artificial intelligence and on the way how this would uh, affect the organization of our society. Or what we can achieve through 3 and 5G uh, internet, not only in the way uh, how we communicating with each other, but for example, how, how we drive our cars or how the cars would be driven by themselves. Therefore, I think it's very important for our work that we tear down the traditional silos. We, are, uh, we, we did it uh, in the European Commission. We see how important it was, uh, how better environment for work it creates, uh, how it allows the people to think more creatively, more disruptively, and how better in this interdisciplinary way we can face uh, the global uh, challenges. And therefore, I think it was not coincidence that the G20 leaders in Hangzhou have focused so much of their attention to the sustainable innovative growth and uh, industrial revolution. If you allow me uh, uh, to proceed to the conclusion by uh, one a very important statement, because if we talk about the energy union, the word energy is a little bit uh, confusing some people, because they would think that uh, it's a new name for the new EU energy policy. But I think in its essence, it's about uh, much more. It's about energy, but it's also about many other policy fields uh, put together in a way that we would uh, ensure that we, we address all the common challenges of these areas, like transport, innovation, agriculture, consumers, competition, uh, climate action, industry, and uh, of course, uh, how to react to this new phenomenon when the consumers would not only be active or well-informed consumers when they want to become prosumers. And uh, how to tackle these uh, five Ds uh, uh, I came up on when I was realizing how uh, this new energy transformation is affected by more of a democratization of a production, by decentralization of uh, energy generation, by decarbonization uh, of uh, uh, our policies, by digitization of everything we do in the field of uh, production and distribution of uh, energy. It's of course about uh, enhanced uh, diversification of both our energy sources and uh, uh, their usage, and uh, uh, it's about more efficient heating, better cooling, low emission mobility. It's about storage uh, and uh, better link between uh, uh, the storage of energy facilities to the smart grids and uh, electric vehicles. It's about real-time demand response. So what I want to say is that ultimately, the energy union is about the modernization of our economy in a way that creates new markets, that it helps to create new business models, that it would lead to an innovation-driven jobs, growth, and new investment agenda in Europe. And of course, it's a major challenge that is radically impacting uh, our lives as citizens, urban residents, commuters, workers, consumers, entrepreneurs, innovators, researchers, local actors, etc. And therefore, if you allow me, I would conclude by saying that this multifaceted vision of the society brings us back to the great work 
of Bruegel, after which your institution is named. As you know, he was a very gifted painter who was able to depict the complexity of the society, the many actors who interplay, the complex relations uh, they have, and to magnificently display the overall societal picture. And as I uh, understand, that is also what have collectively and creatively been happening here over the last uh, two days. And I really uh, would like uh, uh, to compliment you for excellent organization, for getting fantastic lineup of the speakers, great discussions, and uh, very important uh, conclusions for all the future debates uh, on uh, Europe. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, uh, Maros, for, the, for these very nice and flattering words and uh, really also for a very interesting speech that I think uh, is shifting sort of the twist that we had around climate policies and energy policies for a long time. For a long time, climate policies arguably were seen as, as a cost to society. It is a cost to, uh, you know, built in uh, um, technologies that, that would save carbon emissions and so on. Now you seem, you have put the emphasis in quite a different direction, namely, and let me stress two issues that I sort of heard you say very clearly. One is the potential for innovation. So we, we are leading and the potential also to lead um, as Europe on a number of innovative fields. So we are leading, I think you, the number you gave was for something like 40% or so of, 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 of patents um, uh, that, that are being held in, in Europe on, um, uh, on, on green, green technologies. Um, and um, you see uh, an opportunity there to become also a global leader of technology, if I understood you correctly. And I think the other dimension that you mentioned very clearly was the need for investment um, in the EU. And there is the link then to the macro dimension uh, itself. Um, the numbers you gave uh, were in the order of magnitude 200 uh, billion um, to, uh, every year, I think two, two times 200 billion, something of that sort, which would actually make for a meaningful uh, macroeconomic um, spending agenda um, that would actually have a macroeconomic effect in terms of growth, in terms of jobs, in terms of inflation. Um, so, so let me push you a little bit on, uh, on, uh, on both points. Um, so, so perhaps starting from the latter one, the investment one, I mean, why is this investment not happening uh, or not yet happening to the extent we would like to see it? Is it the regulatory framework, the instability and the uncertainty about that? Uh, is it the funding uh, availabilities? Is it the fact that uh, we, uh, we are not uh, looking united and so uh, private investors will hesitate to actually build European infrastructure projects? So what is, what is behind this? Thank you very much, uh, uh, Guntram, for, uh, for both points. Uh, and I think you picked up the uh, very, very crucial one because uh, all that potential uh, I see uh, uh, in Europe uh, not materialized uh, would be a huge disappointment which we cannot have in this uh, fast, accelerating, globalized work. I think we in uh, Europe are maybe affected a little bit more than uh, other parts uh, of the globe by that uh, sudden 
realization that from one day to another, the whole Europe, European companies, all of us, we found ourselves uh, on the global market. That suddenly the competition is very fierce. Suddenly uh, 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 big sectors of our industry and their production could be replaced from one month uh, into another. And uh, uh, that if you want uh, uh, to remain a global leader, that we just have to act much faster, that we have to uh, we have to use all that potential we have in Europe and not be academic about it, uh, but be very practical uh, about it, be able to implement it, to, uh, to commercialize it, uh, to, to bring it uh, uh, to the market. Just a slight, slight small uh, detour. I had uh, the last week uh, the session with uh, what is called new space industry. So these are the innovators uh, who are working on the smaller satellites, uh, uh, who are um, uh, who are venturing into the new space project uh, as a medium-sized companies, and uh, you have to be impressed uh, uh, what these uh, people could accomplish. Many of them are entrepreneuring in the states, uh, some of them in Europe. But what was such a key features for all of them who've been uh, in that room was that we are all Europeans, and you would be surprised how many Europeans is working in this super high-tech uh, fields uh, because we have good universities, because we have talented people, and we just simply need uh, to manage that uh, talent much better than before. Why is it not happening? I mean, one of the, I think, reasons for all that uh, discussions why the uh, Europe is not, not performing uh, as she should, I think is very much uh, linked with insecurity. I would say, Insecurity in, in, in many aspects. I mean, instability uh, uh, on our borders, uh, uh, this sudden realization, how difficult it is for our kids, that despite the fact that they have good universities, they speak several languages, they still have a problem uh, on the labor market. Uh, the opportunities uh, and challenges of the, of the new technologies, uh, will be my job on the market tomorrow or not? And uh, then if you, Look at the latest barometer. We've been going through the slide at our last uh, commission seminar. So there was one slide which was, I would say, particularly telling because uh, the pollsters have been asking the Europeans if uh, they believe that uh, the, the worst is already behind us. And you, and, and you see that the society is very much divided on that. So there is still this, this hesitation. Should I go for that project? Should I invest? Or it's better you know, to be prudent, to, to, proceed, uh, to proceed cautiously. Uh, that's one, I would say, very natural aspect. And second one is, again, if you want to be honest, is that we have seen in quite a few member states uh, the decisions which have been very supportive of the new technologies. Uh, let's be more concrete, speaking about uh, investment in renewables. And then, mostly because of the uh, crisis years, uh, these decisions have been retroactively changed. And then, of course, there is nothing worse you can do to the regulatory stability, to the, to the investment climate, because then, of course, the investors would, would think twice. So what I think we need here is, at first, to kind of be much better in reassuring and, and, create, and, and cementing our regulatory framework 
uh, in a way that the investors would believe that this is now for real, this is, this is happening. And I think therefore the Paris Agreement was so important because now they see that it's not only European venture, this is a global uh, development uh, uh, going in that direction. And second, I think very important uh, thing where I still think we should uh, explore all, all the, all the uh, possibilities is how to help to share the risks with the potential investors. We see how big demand is for this risk-sharing facility, Juncker Investment Fund. We've been discussing with Irki Katainen if we uh, couldn't develop uh, uh, something more like that, some kind of crowding fund which would uh, uh, help to create new, new, new platforms to uh, promote uh, this type of the, of the investment. So I would say that uh, clear focus on uh, the regulatory uh, framework uh, which would be underpinned, underpinned on the global level by the global agreement, but also by the national energy and climate plan. So they would see that it's not only European uh, proposal, but it's supported by the global understanding and, and, and national action on the ground. And plus, of course, uh, uh, being much uh, more creative if it comes uh, to the risk sharing and creative financing. Okay, Th thank you. I think we can open up um, the, the debate and I see already Georg uh, has a question. Georg? Um, and can you please raise your hand if you have a question? <coughs> Georg Zachmann from, uh, from Bruegel. Um, politics is about uh, prioritization to a, uh, to a large degree, so I would like to ask a question on uh, whether we got the balance right and uh, or whether we should shift the balance of uh, our policy attention um, in the framework of decarbonization. So a lot of attention has been put in the, uh, in the past 10 years on electricity decarbonization. Um, we have seen an impressive rollout of renewables and, uh, and that continues. And being here in this, uh, in this museum, you wonder a bit that there are still the same cars that are standing here in the museum uh, driving across the, uh, across the city of Brussels and, uh, and beyond. And I'm a bit worried about that because the car industry is, um, uh, I, I just looked up some figures, is incredibly important for our industry. So in Germany, uh, of German gross exports, 20% is cars, which is massive. So it, there would be a huge problem. In your country, uh, your country, Slovakia, is essentially the country which has the highest car production per capita in the world, with, I think, 170 cars per 1,000 inhabitants. So that would mean if the car industry runs into a problem with decarbonization, with shift coming from other countries moving faster than us, we would be really in trouble. Should we not? try to, to shift the balance a bit towards this sector that is so crucial for, uh, for our industry. Oh, th thank you very much, Georg, for that question. It's, uh, very much, uh, it's very much spot on. And when I was saying that, uh, uh, I, I'd love to say mission accomplished in December, that there will be still a few pieces, a uh, few proposals up and which will be working also in the next year. And they will be, uh, they will be uh, the proposals uh, focused exactly on uh, the transport sector. What is, I think, very important to, to say about the European uh, car industry? If we want to make sure that our car industry would be the best in the world, that they would remain global leaders, that they will be proud of the fact that European cars, the most energy efficient, cleanest, safest uh, 
uh, coolest, I think we need to start moving very quickly. Why I'm saying this? Because I think, again, looking at the, at the patents, European car manufacturers are number one in the number of patents concerning combustion engines. But if it comes to the patents for electric cars, for batteries, and for all this new technology which is, which is arriving, there we are not number one anymore. I think we, I don't want to say that uh, we are, of course, in some kind of desperate uh, situation, but we need to realize where, where is the challenge and what would be uh, the demand uh, of, the, of the consumers uh, of the future. Uh, I had one discussion with the strategies from one leading company car manufacturer in Europe, and he told me that based upon also his discussion with the mayors, and I can confirm it because I talk to mayor a lot, I mean, sooner or later, I would give it one decade, we'll have a first mayor decree who would say, okay, you want to come in the center of my city only in a super clean car with autonomous driving, because I want to make sure that there, are, there is no air pollution and everybody follows the rules. They do drive 50 kilometers per hour, you stop at the cross points and you park where you're allowed to park. And uh, he told me the good thing is that we already have the technology, including, including the, this autonomous driving qualities here in Europe. We need to have, of course, uh, much better internet connection, well-working uh, 5G, but also these uh, strategies in our uh, top industry are already thinking about these tendencies, which I believe would arrive and would arrive uh, uh, rather sooner than later. So we, they need to overcome the, the, the current thinking and I would say current inertia. And what was for me such a warning on the wall was of course the Volkswagen scandal in the United States which puts uh, the European uh, car industry in, in very bad light. And also the, the cartel uh, fine uh, we had to impose on the uh, truck manufacturers. And uh, when you talk to them, they would explain you that each truck is different, each truck is very specific, which is probably true, but they accept that in United States, Canada, and China, there are already uh, the new emission standards and uh, regulatory requirements for the truck industry. So I, I wouldn't like to be uh, in the situation that the best trucks are exported to the states of China and, and uh, uh, the, the less uh, performing trucks would stay here in Europe. I think that it's uh, very important also for the car manufacturers to realize that they ha also have to use all that enormous innovation potential they have, all the talent which is working in the industry, and, and to shift the gear and to, uh, to realize what is the, the next uh, uh, challenge for the industry, and this would clearly be demand, especially from the, the young generation for clear cars, for car sharing, for carpooling, and of course, uh, for, uh, for, autonomous, uh, for autonomous driving. Because who will grasp, uh, I would say, the market, the technology uh, first, they will, be, they will be clean winners. I was also in, in, in Tesla factory. So of course, you are very much impressed by the business model, by the splash uh, this company made with this new business model and, and the, the, the excellent marketing uh, they do. But at the same time, they've been very honest about explaining that if it comes to this uh, mass manufacturing, I think we just simply have to, to learn a, a lot from Europeans. It's much different to produce, I don't know, 3,000, 30,000 or 300,000 cars. So I think we, we have our uh, very strong competitive edge, but our uh, um, 
uh, car industry chiefs just uh, would need to realize, and I believe they do, but to start to uh, uh, clearly develop this uh, new thinking, how to make sure that uh, our car industry uh, will remain uh, uh, at, at, at the top of the global competition. Last thing I would say is that it would be absolutely inevitable if we want to achieve our climate goals, because to get to the minus 30% of the greenhouse gas emission in the non-ETS sector, we know how big potential is uh, in uh, uh, the uh, building sector. We know how challenging it is for, uh, for agriculture. And of course, there are huge expectations that uh, the transport industry would be uh, that sector which would uh, contribute significantly into this effort. Thank you. Simona, and yeah. I can take one more question, but I cannot see. Can you can you please raise your hand if you there's a question there, um, and any other question? Because last time I chaired from here, I was accused of not uh, as finding the right people. So please, there's an, a third one there. Okay. Simona, please. So, uh, Vice President Simona Tagliapietra from uh, Bruegel. Considering that 75% uh, of the European uh, population lives in urban areas, it's clear that cities will be the key arenas for decarbonization. In this sense, I would like to ask you, uh, what can the Commission do to accompany cities in this uh, effort, in this challenge? Is there a room to do something more than the covenant of uh, mayor best practice uh, sharing uh, format? Uh, is, a, is there a role for enhancing uh, smart financing for uh, smart cities? Is uh, your new proposal going to come up in the winter going to completely change the traditional approach? Do you have new tools uh, in mind in this field? Okay, thank you. There is a second question here. Catherine Fiore, EU reporter. Uh, very ambitious investment plans. The public sector, is, uh, the private sector is going to be fully mobilized to reach the targets you've suggested. But um, the private sector have said that the public investment is very important for them. It's very reassuring to know that they're involved. And that's why the Juncker plan is working well to, uh, in this area. But obviously, it's going to have to be bigger than that. But my question is this. Um, Member states are struggling to stay within their budgets as it stands. So they don't really have that much room. Well, some of them don't, <laughs> not all of them, but some of them don't have much room for maneuver. And one MEP suggested to me that, well, they should stop, you know, states should stop subsidizing the fossil fuel sector. This is one way that they could be, you know, mobilize more funds. And uh, the other suggestion, and maybe it's maybe more for Guntram, I suppose, but um, in the UK economists, some economists have suggested that quantitative easing could be used for sort of a green quantitative easing. And this is be a way to mobilize um, some investment. So I'd just like to know if you have any views on that. OK, there's a third question here. Hello, uh, Catherine Glastra from the Heinrich Böll Foundation. From here. Uh, thank you very much for this impressive speech. Um, I was a bit surprised to hear only towards the end of your very interesting remarks the role that you give to the citizens and to the prosumers. I was wondering how, especially given the point that you mentioned in the very beginning, the challenge of the, uh, the public trust issue, I was wondering in how far you could maybe give an indication 
how do you intend to bring the energy union also closer to the citizens by, I don't know, opening up uh, cooperatives initiatives, by granting access to grids and so on, uh, well knowing that, of course, it's a national competence, but what can the Commission do because it has to do a bit more in that respect? Thank you. Thank you very much for, for all three questions. The, the first uh, um, question on, on cities. I think that uh, here we definitely have to use to the maximum uh, the, the potential of that positive energy which is coming from the cities and from, from the mayors. And if you ask why there is such a positive energy among the mayors for sustainable uh, developments, because uh, I think that they realized uh, the, the, the first how important it is to go into that direction, because they uh, uh, they are fully aware that, as you said, 75% of Europeans is living in the city. There is a highest concentration of traffic, including traffic jam. The biggest problem with the air pollutions, you have industry concentration um, uh, around uh, uh, the cities. Uh, you have uh, the, the issues with the, with the public uh, transportation. So if you really want to transform the cities, you have to embrace these new smart technologies and new approaches. And, and very often um, you see certain cautiousness, prudence uh, on the level of the national government, but you see strong support for uh, these new developments uh, from mayors because they know that they have uh, uh, support of the citizens for the change uh, for the city. So I have uh, seen uh, quite a few cities where the cars are somehow pushed out of the centers and more bikes, more path walks, more public transportation is bringing in. And usually this was at first uh, perceived as, wow, this mayor cannot survive uh, this approach. But in the end, uh, he was reelected because uh, this was proven very popular. They started the movement like giving cities back uh, to the citizens and therefore these policies have uh, usually very strong support. In Europe, we've been very successful with the covenant of mayor. We have almost 7,000 mayors who are ready to, to work with the commission to develop the sustainability plans. And we uh, would like to replicate uh, that success uh, on the global level. This is what uh, I already promised uh, in, in the Paris conference. And this is what we are now uh, working together on uh, very intensely with uh, Mike Bloomberg. We would like... Uh, to make sure that as we have the EU covenant of mayors, that we would have such a regional covenant in all major regions, for Africa, uh, for Asia, for, uh, for, for China, for Latin America, so that I would say the similar cooperation, similar platforms, uh, uh, similar exchange of the best practices could take place on the regional, but also on the, uh, on the global level. What we would like to do more, we would like to uh, create a new platforms and encourage more cooperation, for example, in the field of public procurement. Because this is what I hear from the mayors. Of course, if uh, I have to procure 20 electric or uh, CNG uh, buses, it's much more expensive uh, than when I agree with uh, three or four cities and we are going to procure 200 buses. Uh, 
of course, if I would like to develop uh, the car sharing uh, service for electric cars, uh, I would like my citizens to be able to use them not only within the city, but to go to the neighboring city. So for that, of course, you need to develop the proper infrastructure. So uh, what we want to do uh, right now is to make sure that we have uh, a proper structure in place, which we can also support financially where we can uh, advise the mayors how they can create uh, the platforms uh, uh, to attract investment like uh, we have seen in Orpa de Cala where 400 million euros been invested for energy efficiency projects from the Juncker Investment Fund and, and also to listen to the mayors what they believe would be the best what they would need from us and they have very good ideas they are very precise in formulating uh, their proposals and what we need to make sure is that this flow of uh, interactive ideas and uh, proposals uh, will be working uh, even better uh, than before. If it comes to the level of the investment, I personally can tell you is that uh, I'm, I'm supporting all the thinking, all the reflections, uh, all the creative solutions uh, which uh, would help us to use the current period where we see that, uh, if I exaggerate a little bit, that if you borrow the money, you save on your loan. And to use that abundance of cash to support the progressive infrastructure. All what we need to do in, in the field of uh, 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 low carbon, uh, uh, energy transition. All we can do for energy efficiency, all we can do for making sure that uh, we can integrate renewables better, all we, we can do to make sure that finally we would have the internal energy markets which would not be hampered by the, by the, by the technical obstacles which usually are the lack of uh, interconnecting uh, capacities. But as you know, this is a, a much bigger debate and we always have to find for the balance solutions between uh, budgetary responsibility and between uh, promotion of uh, the investment in the new promising infrastructure. I know that uh, my colleague Tyson is discussing also with the, with the Eurostat how we can reflect uh, this, this positive uh, investment into the infrastructure and uh, using of the Juncker investment fund, especially on the, on the city level in a way that it would not have negative repercussions on the assessment of stability and the growth pact. And I think that this debate uh, uh, is still going to take place. I mean, it's a discussion, should we reform the stability on the growth pact? Uh, uh, should, we, should we prepare the, the, the new one? Because over the years it became so complex uh, that it's uh, uh, not easy to grasp it. It's very difficult to, to explain it. And I think that today we are facing different challenges than we've been facing uh, in the midst of, uh, of this uh, very dire economic crisis. So this debate is still on and I think will be on um, until we find uh, the best solutions. And uh, concerning the cities and, and, and the citizens, uh, I, I repeat very often and I would like to assure you that I'm absolutely convinced of it that we cannot build energy union here in Brussels. That without support of the citizens, uh, we will not uh, build it in our member states and, and in our uh, cities. And that this public awareness is absolutely crucial because if we want to achieve uh, uh, this uh, transformation, this uh, modernization of our industry, uh, we definitely need to have the citizens on board. On top of it, I would say we need to have active, well-informed consumers on board that they know what are their rights, 
then they know that if they are not happy with the quality of the, of the service or price of the energy, they can switch the supplier, that they would have a possibility to produce uh, and store the energy if they decided to do so, and uh, uh, that the incumbents uh, shouldn't create uh, different kind of obstacles uh, uh, to prevent them from, from doing exactly this. So this is something what we are going to support. You will see uh, a lot of, of what I'm explaining right now uh, reflected in a proper legislative language when we present the new electricity market design. And on top of it, uh, we are also trying to cover as much as we can in respect of the principle of subsidiarity, also the issue of energy poverty. I think it's really unacceptable that we have 15 million Europeans who have to decide if they pay for energy bills or, 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 or buy the, the food for the, for the family, that we have hundreds of thousands of Europeans which are, who, who are just switched off from electricity supply without any warning. And you know that without electricity, it's not only that your fridge is not working, your kids cannot study, but it's simply not possible to... Um, uh, to be in such a situation. So we think that we should really introduce much more of the consumer uh, uh, protection mm. uh, in this field. And the last thing I would mention, which affects uh, directly the citizens, we want uh, to start what I hope would become such an energy efficiency renovation wave across the Europe, because that would be very tangible uh, for those who are living in these renovated houses, they pay less for the energy so they can save. But it would be very important also for all local SMEs because I'm sure that it would be not some kind of multinational uh, big corporations who will install these new technologies, better windows or put more isolations. It would be local companies, SMEs, local workers who would uh, do this job. So I hope that by this we can actually cater for both better consumer satisfaction and more job creation here in Europe. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, uh, Commission Vice President Shevkovic. It was really great to have you here and uh, for you to give the final concluding uh, speech here at our Bruegel annual meeting. I think it is time to uh, conclude uh, our annual meeting, to thank all of you for participating. And let me also give one second to thank uh, our team um, that really has done an outstanding job in putting it all together. Giuseppe and all the others, uh, thank you so much. And thank you again, Commission Vice President.